This is Cross Culture, exploring the intersection of our faith and the culture that we live in. Today we're talking about prophecy, divination, and the verse of the day. So the other day, Deborah and I went to stay at an Airbnb up in New Haven by Yale. And at our Airbnb, which was super nice, uh, we saw littered across the um, the living room and the kitchen these like tarot card uh, packs. And they were um, pretty interesting. I was I was interested to open them. They they had really beautiful art on it. They had like nature and like different animals and these like in the spiritual art style. And, and I was curious to know what these cards would have to say for particular situations. And, you know, they say things like a deer represents maybe like it's your time to be reflective on certain aspect of your life or these, these things, none of which like were, dare I say, like, you know, evil things to do like just to reflect on your life is not in itself an evil thing but it brought me to this like question of like uh where and how did divination uh uh, witchcraft turn into kind of transform into what we see today and also like do we fall victim to what the the traps of divination are um today even as christians and so that's kind of what i wanted to explore in this topic and uh i know that you have an extensive experience with um what this looked like in the old testament so i was just kind of curious to know um what your thoughts were on this on the subject well when speaking of divination the the first thing that one must recognize is and and when we talk about divination what we're talking about is the the use of some specific technique to attempt to forecast the future, uh, whether that is astrology, saying the the stars in some way impact my personality in the way that I live, and the, the the fate of my life is dependent on the movement of you know the stars and the planets. Mm-hmm. That's one form of divination, but the but divination is extremely ancient. Uh, I, I actually didn't realize this until I, I read about it recently, but the, the zodiac signs that astrology are based on go literally all the way back to ancient Babylon. Hmm. Or the, so the oldest characters that we have extant in the Chinese language are from uh, what are called the oracle bones, which were, which were bone, actual bones, and in some cases pieces of tortoise shell that people were using to try to determine what was a good or a bad day to, to, do, to make certain decisions or to, to do certain things like invade your neighbors. Uh, and there is a persistent and universal human desire to know the future and to know how we should act in order to get the best results. It helps us to bring a sense of control to an uncertain world. And that's why every culture has these, mm-hmm. although the, the forms that get used can be radically, radically different from culture to culture. Yeah. And there are some really pretty fun ones. <laughs> but there's also uh, forms of that in the Bible, but also ones that like godly people use. Like I think about like casting lots. It, not, not, it's like it's kind of similar. 
right? It's like trying to tell the future through some action or event, like rolling dice. Well, like many other things in the Bible, it's important to realize that God knows that we have culture. And he's not an enemy of the fact that we have culture. He doesn't expect us to rise up and become heavenly beings, uh, naked and cultureless. But he comes to us and he speaks to us in our own cultural ways of doing things. Uh, when Jesus came, he didn't introduce the fashion of heaven and, you know, he didn't wear whatever it is that angels wear. And he didn't speak whatever language it is that angels speak. He came down and he learned to speak uh a language in the Semitic group of languages, he, of which Hebrew is not the first, nor nor was it the last. But and he and God gave us the Bible not in a language that no one else spoke or understood, but He gave us the Bible in a language that was, you know, well within the range of the other languages that were spoken in that area at that time. And similarly, when you start talking about divination. Uh, God begins to speak to the people using using cultural experiences which were similar to the, to what they already knew, and yet he modified them and changed them in a way that would um, in a way that would help to weed out some of the problems with the other ways of doing things. So, for instance, God comes to them and he says, you know, I have no trouble with you finding out the future. I'm more than happy to talk to you about the future. Hmm. But if you're going to come to me about the future, you need to come to only me about the future. And he begins to give them methods for doing so. Hmm. But when you start to read God's history of speaking to the people of Israel, especially, he, he says things like, well, first of all, I don't want you to practice necromancy. Don't call up the spirits of the dead and talk to them. Don't have seances. Don't have psychics. Just don't do it. He doesn't say it's not possible, interestingly enough. Yeah. He, in fact, if anything, he implies it it's, perhaps is possible. But he says it's wrong. It's not right. The future doesn't belong to the dead. The future belongs to me. Hmm. And you belong to me. So if you're faithful to me, you need to give up these things. Hmm. And what he does then is... What what makes the, the the character of God very interesting is that he takes uh, is that is that he likes to to give people specific ways of approaching him. There were many temples in the ancient world to many gods, but he gave them one temple. And if you wanted to worship him the right way, you had to come to that temple, the one in Jerusalem. And similarly, he says, "You can ask me the future, but." you have to make sure that you come to, to ask me the future at an approved location. And at first, this is something called the Urim and Thummim. And the Urim and Thummim, they think are, they, we're reasonably certain they were something like a pair of dice. And it seems to be that they answered yes or no questions. Mm -hmm. Now, you could ask just about any yes or no question and get an accurate answer. And there are books like First, uh, First Samuel where you see people, where you see David using the Urim and Thummim. And he gets answers to some specific questions and makes decisions accordingly. It's like the first magic eight ball. It was very much like a magic eight ball. But it was God's magic eight ball. And that's really the, the significant point of it, isn't it? There's nothing special about it. It's not unusual or, or even particularly weird. Compared, like one of my favorite examples of uh, divination is in Tibet, they had a, a habit of getting goats drunk and then telling the future based on what direction it walks in. 
And like that to me, that sounds a lot more fun than than just rolling dice and consulting the magic eight ball. Mm-hmm. But no, God likes to be specific about these things, mm-hmm. and that it's part of why he he gave them that, especially until the innovation of the the prophet. Mm. Okay, um, and you know you see prophets throughout the Old Testament, but then you also see say the disciples using like lot casting to determine the next disciple to replace judas right and it's crazy isn't it can you imagine if we chose our leaders this way if we (laughs) if we said oh here's a here's a a qualified pool let's 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 roll lots to pick up to pick who the most important leaders are Mm -hmm. and especially for something like the apostles the now history has told us the apostles are even more important than they may have known at the time because only books written by the apostles or associated with the apostles have gotten into the new testament but it's, but even at the time, they realized it was an enormously important decision. Yeah, that this was one of the very top people in the church, and they they really did trust that God was going to affect the movement of the dice. When did that kind of like have to be cut off? Like when did they say, "Hey, we don't need to use that anymore"? Well, part of the reason why the Urim and Thummim declined in usage, almost almost all scholars think this, is that it was the rise of the prophet. By the time you, by the time David becomes king, you start to see a, a real rise in prophetic ministry. Earlier on in First Samuel, it says, "In those days, the word of the Lord was rare; there was no common vision." Mm-hmm. And as you begin to get into the life of Jesus, of uh, the life of uh, King David, one of the things you begin to see established is uh, charismatic individuals like Nathan and Gad, who have the authority to confront the king, who have the mission of confronting the king, and who know for a fact that the king won't kill them if they speak up and bring the word of the Lord to them, which is kind of important as you get later on to the Old Testament, and and the king and the the prophet become a little bit more hostile towards one another. Mm -hmm. But you begin to, but the, the prophet is one of these really major kind of innovations in the theology and practice of the Old Testament. The idea that there are people who are gifted in such a way that they hear the voice of God and can speak for God. Mm-hmm. And that there were prophets and there were prophets in other religions. You might remember the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, for instance, mm-hmm. who, uh, who spoke for Baal and represented Baal. But the idea here is that the, the prophets were people who were designed to um, represent him specifically and no other interests Hmm. either human or divine so because of the introduction of prophets were they were the disciples in the wrong then for for using the lots well that that begins to get a little bit into the difference between old testament new testament prophecy and that's that's probably a discussion for another week Hmm. but i think part of it is the question of uh, subjectivity it's particularly interesting. Prophecy is a very interesting phenomenon because on the one hand, you have people speaking for God. On the other hand, you have people speaking for God. And when uh, Paul talks about the nature of New Testament prophecy, he talks about it in terms of uh, seeing, their, seeing reality through a mirror or to put it in a little more modern parlance, seeing reality uh, on the, through Instagram through the, the camera lens, which can be kind of photoshopped by our own desires and which can have different filters put in place 
to make things look better or worse than they really are. Uh, sometimes the background is blurry because the, the intentionally blurry because the main figure is in focus. And yet we can try to focus on the blurry background and try to make sense of it rather than focusing on the main image. And honestly, for a decision as important as necessary as choosing that 12th apostle, they said, man, what prophet would we possibly trust to be unbiased in answering this question? Hmm. So I can kind of understood why they cast lots. And this, this also speaks to somewhat to the nature of the limitations of prophecy. Because it, because it is subjective, and it's and it is in many ways relational also. So, how do then it turn? Because like we, many many in the faith believe that we should not stray outside of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering if you could like speak more on that, like the role. What does the role of prophet look like now? Um, as compared the to the, the role of the Bible. Yeah. Well, the role of the... It really hasn't changed very much, to be honest. The role, of the, the role of the New Testament prophet and the role of the Old Testament prophet are quite similar in some ways, which is that the, the primary role of both the Old Testament prophet and the New Testament prophet is application. The, the, the prophets that we think of when we think about prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, their primary function was not really to introduce new theology. What their primary function was to interpret the Torah and apply it for people in their present context. Uh, Jeremiah, for instance, there, well, I don't want to get too deep down this rabbit hole, but, but uh, much of liberal scholarship likes to, do, uh, likes to date uh, the book of Deuteronomy very, very late. In the in the Old Testament story, because because they see it as such fertile ground for the prophets to draw their messages, this idea that if you are righteous, if you follow the Lord, if you're with Him relationally, then you will be blessed. And yet, and if you turn your back on Him, if you reject Him, if you rebel against Him, if you seek other gods, you will bring yourself under the curse. And really, this is the message of the prophets. This is the whole message of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Jeremiah says. Hey guys, you have not been faithful, and therefore you are receiving the curse. You are receiving the uh, the just judgment that comes upon us by, because we have rebelled. Mm-hmm. And similarly, the the role of the prophet today is that we we take what we have received in the Word of God, and we apply it in new situations and in new contexts. And mm. th- what Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, He will remind you of My words. And he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And this means that if you if you see the quote-unquote Holy Spirit coming and introducing new ideas that are foreign to the Bible, they are utterly foreign to this to to the Holy Spirit whom we know. There, the words of prophecy are always uh, explanations and illuminations and continuations of the ideas found in Scripture. 100% of the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And history is replete with examples of people who have claimed charismatic experiences and then gone on and said outrageous and wild things. Uh, if you don't believe yeah. me, go ahead and Google Emanuel Swedenborg. Mm-hmm. But what if I wanted to um, not necessarily like you know make all these 
prophetic claims that have nothing to do with what scripture would teach. But what if, say for example, I I repurpose those tarot cards and put Bible verses on them or something like that that and had people pick and choose like what a verse was most relevant for them for it. Like what if what if we reapplied some of our like like a biblical twist to that kind of medium. Is that weird? Well, first of all, let me go ahead and defuse some of the some of the people who are probably picking up torches and pitchforks right now. Because there's nothing wrong with taking a cultural form, even a pagan cultural form, and Christianizing it, so to speak. I see so many people get up in arms about Christmas trees and Yule logs and, you know, all of the Easter eggs, all of the aspects of pagan religious life that have been sort of imported into Christianity had their meanings painted over and then they were uh, sort of taken in. But in reality, people in the Bible do that sort of thing all the time. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant was a was God's take on a practice by Egyptian priests of taking the idols out of a temple, putting them in a box just like the Ark of the Covenant, having it carried around on poles by priests, and they would they would take the idol down the River Nile and they would just swim it around and show people. And God makes his own ark, but inside the ark there is no idol, and that is the point. What's inside the what's inside the ark is the signs of the covenant. It's you know Aaron's staff which has budded and the tablets of the Ten Commandments, the, some of the manna from the desert, all of the things that show God's love for his people. So, so the whole point of the ark is not to say idol boxes are bad, but it's to say no, but a, but a, a holy idol box looks different than that. Um, so it's not, it's not wrong to try to adapt and Christianize cultural forms, but I think that the, that the Christian tarot card deck in particular would be a bad idea. And one of the reasons it would be a bad idea is that it would limit what God was able to say. Mm. If God, one of the things that if you notice God really does not like, if you read the Bible, is he does not like having people tell him what he can and can't do. He doesn't like having people tell him what he can and cannot say. He wants the freedom to be, I am. And there are a limited number of tarot cards. You would have a limited number of Bible verses. And surely there would be things he would want to say that he would not be able based on how you have artificially limited him. Wow. Yeah. That makes me think about the verse of the day, like on the Bible app, just because you're, you're looking at all these beautiful like images of mountains and trees. And it's always like, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And that's, it's that verse and the Lord is my shepherd like five times a year and not much else. First of all, let me make it clear that I think that the Bible app is one of the best things to happen in the history of planet Earth. Yeah. Uh, I'm not intending to sh- throw any shade at whatsoever to the developers of it. Yeah. But one of the uh, one of the fundamental characteristics of modern Christianity, especially American Christianity, is that we like to dwell on the positive. Mm-hmm. We, we, we don't like to address the parts of the biblical story which challenge us, which ask us to question our own lives, which ask us to go into the dark and, and deep parts of our soul and actually repent. We don't like to read the parts of Deuteronomy that, ta- that talk very graphically 
about the curses that come upon us for rebellion, for instance. They make us deeply uncomfortable, and I'm sure you'll never find them in, in the verse of the day. Uh, I've never heard about I've never. I'm sure you won't get the story of Amnon and Tamar in the verse of the day, for instance. <laughs> and that's just the nature of, of having such a product. It's people, it, you make things that people will want to read, and nobody wants to read those things. Mm. So you can only have 365 verses of the day in a year. And yet God has far more than 365 things to say to us. Yeah. So anytime we choose a specific form, we, we run the risk of limiting God. And that is the, that really is the challenge. Yeah, that seems to be the big thing that's connecting all of this is like when we try to limit God in how he can speak to us or what he can say, then we run ourselves in the big trouble of like erring against him, like sinning against him. Mm. Got it. And again, God, if there's one thing the Bible makes clear over and over again, it's that God wants to speak to us. Mm -hmm. He wants to speak to us about specifics. He wants to challenge us on things. A person who reads the Bible and reads everything through the lens of what was God saying to people in the first century? What was God saying to people in the time of Isaiah? Blah, blah, blah is a person who can read it very safely because they never have to ask the question of how does God want me to change my life? Mm. And one of the powers of, truthfully, both both the gift of prophecy and reading the, reading the Bible with the eyes towards God speaking to you today are the fact that God is very interested in communicating with us. Jesus had lots to say when he had an opportunity to speak to the seven churches in Asia Minor mm -hmm. at the beginning of the book of Revelation. And some of it got very specific. Some of it was very personal. And it was certainly very confrontational. Right. And if we don't like the idea that God might tell us that we're in danger of having our lampstand removed, then uh, that would explain a lot about why we're not listening for what he has to say. Yeah. Like, if our God never disagrees with us, then what have we done except maybe made a God of our own imagination? Precisely. Yeah. So I think that in some ways, the Christian reaction against divination is in many ways misguided. Mm -hmm. Instead of asking, uh, what is the what are the spiritual influences that the diviner is coming under? Which is a, a valid question, of mm -hmm. course. If you If you ask questions of demons, you're going to receive answers from demons. And if you receive answers from demons, you're going to come under the influence of demons. But the, but the real question, really, is what is the longing of this person's heart that God is seeking to satisfy? Often when missionaries would come to a tribal people, the, uh, the shamans and the witch doctors would be the first ones to get saved. Mm -hmm. Because they were the ones who were asking the big questions of life. And they were the ones who were ready to hear the, the big truths of the gospel. So... When we see these forms of divination, the question is not, it's not, how do we avoid these? Let's get rid of our Christian divination. But the real, the real issue is, how do we have real and genuine spiritual experiences that make all of the false spiritual experiences of the world pale in comparison? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. So the big takeaway that I'm, I'm seeing from this is, I want to ensure that I'm not limiting the way that God can speak to me. And I want to make sure that I, um, as a Bible reader, am, am able to encounter the fullness of God, the, the 
to receive the full counsel of God, uh, not just a part of it. And so if I find myself to be only dependent on, say, the verses of the day to feed my and nourish my soul, I will get a, a very small view of God. Mm. And so that's definitely the big takeaway that I had um, in this conversation. But I know that you had some challenges too, or like encouragements. Well, first of all, I would like to address those who are listening who may be realizing as they're as they're they're listening to this that you have participated in some illegitimate forms of divination. You have you are a, a regular follower of astrology. You have done uh, you've used tarot cards or Ouija boards or seances or uh, or or more uh, obscure forms of divination. And I'm, I'd like to say it is not too late to repent. We can, we can say, God, I'm sorry, and turn from it and uh, listen to him again. On the other hand, many of us are hearing this, and we don't know about our future. Our future certainly seems to us frightening and out of control and uncertain. Mm-hmm. And into those feelings, uh, the Lord really wants to speak to you today. He wants to bring you hope and certainty, and in many cases, specifics. He wants to bring you direction. He wants to show you that he has a purpose and a plan for his life, and he has particular things in mind. So um, I would like to pray for you now that you would Mm -hmm. be able to perceive what it is that God is speaking, and that you would be able to receive from him plans and ideas and dreams for your life. Yeah. So why don't we pray together now? Mm Mm-hmm. Father, you are not a God who is an empty image or a metal idol, but you are a God who speaks. You are a real person with ideas and feelings and plans, and you have ideas and feelings and plans for each one of the people who are listening to us. So I ask, Lord, that you would open our spiritual ears and open our spiritual eyes, that we would be able to perceive your voice, that we would be able, Lord, to uh, read the scriptures with understanding, that we would be able to know and perceive all of the various ways that you are directing us, commanding us, encouraging us, and empowering us. Mm-hmm. We ask, Lord, that, it, it, that you would reveal the future to those who feel futureless, and that you would speak your word of uh, correction to those who desperately need correction. We ask, Lord, that you would come and be your own unfettered, free, powerful, and sovereign self here in our midst. We ask that you would give us more spiritual experiences and not fewer. Mm -hmm. We ask that you would speak to us and not remain silent. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing in us, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So good. Thank you all for listening. God bless. We'll speak with you soon.